Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Last week we started a new series called So I Hope, and so we're going to be continuing in that for the next few weeks. And if you've got your bulletin open, you got your um, your QR code, however you're going to do it, follow in the Bible app, however you want to do that. Uh, we are tracking along together. And um, our kind of our lead off thought with this is that um, our hope in God is what empowers us to truly move forward in the full life that God has given us. I wanted to look at this series of So I Hope because so many of us have an idea, kind of a, a permeating thought about 2021 and, and even the future in general, that if we say, hey, is, you know, are you going gonna to be able to go on vacation? Are you going to be able to go on a mission trip? Are you going to be able to, to do this or that? Are you going to be able to invite as many people as you want to to your wedding? Or are we going to be able to have kids camp? Are we going to be able to do all sorts of things? And the response over and over and over again is, I hope so. I hope so. And most of the time when you and I say, I hope so, it means probably not. Um, and so it's kind of like, keep your fingers crossed. Um, let's hope this turns out in a good way. And so what I was wanted us to be, to look at in the middle of this is that we have reason to hope. And once we have reason to hope and we grab a hold of that reason to hope, then we can change the narrative. We can change the way we talk about things and we can say, this is the reason, so I hope. So that is what we are going to be looking at. That is what we're going to be delving into is the reason that we have hope. We have a reason to have hope. We have a reason to believe that things are going to shift, that things are going to good, that, that in the middle of mess, God is still going to be able to bring life and life more abundantly. We don't have to wait for the overall conditions to shift for us to live the life. It, God's promises are not contingent on what's happening in our world. And we're looking at Romans 15, 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Now remember this, this thing that if you're needing to be filled with joy and peace, it may be because you're not having much joy or peace. That maybe there's not that a whole lot of joy and peace evident and a whole lot of joy and peace there. So we need the God of hope God of hope come in and fill us with joy and peace as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we begin to allow the God of hope to fill us with joy and peace, it creates an overflow. It begins to spill out and it's not just all in us and all over us. It begins to make a hope mess on somebody else's life. The people around us begin to get to feel a little more hopeful. All of a sudden, they begin to see, man, what's all this that's getting on me? Oh, it's your hope. Man, your hope is all of a sudden getting contagious and making a mess in, in a beautiful way in somebody else's life. And that's what God wants us to do. It says that we're supposed to be a, a, a pleasant fragrance 
in the world that all of a sudden it's beginning to carry and people are like, what is going on here? There is something good cooking in the middle of all this. And it should be us pointing people to Jesus. This, <clears throat> we looked at uh, this a little bit before and uh, last week as we were looking into why hope. Why hope? We, ha- we have a reason to hope. And I, and I wanted to spend a good amount of time looking at what this verse means. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And it, in, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. We have a hope that's firm and secure. It's an anchor to our soul. If you listened last week, you know we were reminded that our soul is our mind and our will and our emotions. And that needs to be regenerated. You know what's so amazing is we say yes to Jesus. We embrace the good news of what Jesus has done on our behalf and we are made heaven ready, bam. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Our spirit is as alive and perfect and heaven ready as Jesus' spirit is himself. That we are ready for heaven right then. But we are still living in this place. We're still living in this earth and our soul is not earth ready. Our spirit's heaven ready, but our soul is not ready to deal with the onslaught of what still exists in this earthly place. And so our soul needs to be regenerated. Our soul needs to be, and that is the bulk of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives in the renewing process. It is renewing our mind, renewing our, our will to align with God's will, renewing our emotions. Because the truth is, in this world, there's stuff that comes at us. The enemy doesn't like us. We are kind of jerks to one another sometimes. Maybe a lot of the times. There's just stuff that happens. Jesus, remember, he said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. It's going to come. And a lot of times we have to be mindful of our response. Trouble's going to come, but we're going to have a response to that trouble. And that can either make the trouble worse or it can begin to deal with the trouble and actually see things begin to turn around. Um, my, uh, I love hearing stories about my, my dad when he was growing up with, uh, with brothers. And so uh, I had two younger sisters and, uh, that sometimes I treated like they were brothers and, and um, uh, tormented them uh, a little bit. But my dad had two brothers, one older, one younger. And so a little stair-step. Guys, and every time my dad tells a story, I picture uh, the movie Sandlot in my mind. If you have seen the movie Sandlot, um, that year is that movie is set in 1962. Well, my dad was 12 in 1962, so he he would have run with the Sandlot crew. He was right there in that age group, and so every time I hear a story um, about my dad growing up, I picture I picture the Sandlot and Squints and the whole gang all out there doing their thing. And so, but my dad uh, uh, told a story about him and his, his brothers, 
And, um, you know, they didn't have video games, didn't have any of that. So they, you know, played outside. And they did crazy things, you know, like uh, get, get the bow and arrow and one get in the front yard and one get in the backyard and try to shoot the uh, arrows over. And who could stand closest to it when it stuck, um, that was the winner. Um, the loser went to the ER. And so uh, it was uh, so some rough, rough play when they were, uh, when, when they were growing up. But... They uh, invented games, and in West Texas, uh, something that grows, I, I hated them as a kid, um, but good old, we just called them stickers, that you get stuck with stickers, and just good old sticker burrs, you know, that grow up and have a big old head of them, and, and man, they just grow all over um, that area. It's like they're attracted to grow where oil is, stickers are going to grow up, I just guarantee it. And so they decided, they made this game, they got on their bikes, and they would get these stickers as they were grown out, and they would get a stalk of them, and they would joust, and they would pass one another, and they would chunk them at one another, and it would, you know, stick, it would stick to your shirt, and it would stick to different stuff, and, you know, and so, and they would sit there, and of course, you don't want to get hit in the face, so you'll, you know, you'll wince, and, you know, it's a little bit of jousting, a little bit of playing chicken, you know, and chunking the stickers at one another as they would go past one another. Um, well, at one point, um, my Uncle George, my dad's uh, older brother, did something in this game that irritated my dad. And I know all of y'all know my dad, everybody calls him Poppers. Um, he's this nice, chill, easy-going dude. Um, and so that's not the poppers I grew up with. And, so, and it's certainly not the poppers that his brothers grew up with. And so my dad got irritated. And, man, he wasn't going to get back. He was going to get ahead. And so he grabbed not one stalk of stickers but an entire plant. And so it has a whole ton. So if they were shooting shots, he was going to let the machine gun, the grenade of stickers go. So he grabs the whole thing and goes past it and chunks it at my Uncle George. And then all of a sudden, my Uncle George doesn't see just one little deal of stickers, a whole clump of stickers coming at him. And as he sees them coming out, he sees them a little late, and he does this to avoid it while he flinched the wrong way. And the stickers got stuck in his shoulder and his face, and then he was stuck. He was like stapled to his shoulder with stickers, and he has to go in, and I can't imagine what my grand did <laughs> to, uh, to, to deal with that. But his, he sat there, and there was this thing flying at his face, thing flying at him, and his response actually ended up making it worse. His fear response made it worse. Him sitting, shutting down, and clenching up, and turning all in on himself actually made the attack worse. And so we need to make sure that in this place where, yes, there will be trouble, we need to understand that our response can sometimes actually make it worse. That, yes, there was the initial peace. That, yes, so-and-so did say that mean thing about you. But you stewing on it for two weeks, for you letting it get septic on the inside of you, that extra pain has nothing to do with them running their mouth and it has everything to do with you not letting it go. 
It has everything to do with you not being able to forgive and to be able to move on. And it's real easy to point the blame at where the attack came from. But there's a place where you and I have to understand that our response makes a difference. And Jesus has began to teach us and the Holy Spirit to grow us into a place where we can have a faith-filled response. And with a faith-filled response, it begins to turn things on its head. 3 John 1, 2 says, Beloved, in regard to all things, I pray that you prosper and be in health. Now, this is in all things. In everything that you're going to deal with, in this world that throws junk at you, I pray that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Those things are connected. You're going to have to begin to prosper or to grow or to mature in your mind, your will, and your emotions so that in everything, every other area and even in this place of health be able to grow as your soul prospers. We need our mind, our will, and our emotions to begin to mature. So I want to break these three pieces down and how hope makes a difference. Hope is an anchor for your mind. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Folks, first we have to acknowledge that some of our thoughts are not aligned with the obedience to Christ. And Christ is his anointing. That's his title. It's not his last name. It's not Jesus Christ. It's Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And that anointing, according to the scripture, it removes obstacles and it destroys burdens, heavy weights, things that weigh us down. And if we're going to be able to begin to walk in the, the newness of life that God has for us, we are going to have to understand that our, the way we think is going to have to shift. And so when we go back to verse 4, it says we have, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You know, that sounds exciting. Sounds like something, man, we're about to take on the enemy and these strongholds exist on this outside of us and we're going to be able to attack those things. But it quickly tells us that we demolish, as we're taking down strongholds, what are we demolishing? Arguments. What are these arguments? It's the thought flow. It's the back and forth in our minds where the Holy Spirit begins to well up within us that there's a new way to respond. Let's go back to the fact that somebody ran their mouth about you, okay? Somebody at work, some family member, neighbor, somebody runs their mouth, okay? And the Holy Spirit's beginning to, to want to utilize that to first get, set you free from the pain and the anger, Okay? And begin to forgive. And what immediately pops up when the Holy Spirit begins to stir you up to forgive? An argument internally against forgiveness. Well, this ain't the first time this person's done that. They, they treated me this. They backstabbed me this. They backstabbed me. Now, the Holy Spirit is not telling you to go put your, make yourself vulnerable to this person. And make them your, their, 
make that person your confidant for life. The Holy Spirit is simply saying to forgive. But we immediately begin to make an internal argument against that. And we make internal arguments against what the Holy Spirit is wanting to lead us into constantly. We have these arguments. And for us to begin to align our thoughts with God's thoughts, we're going to have to begin to deal with the internal arguments that rise up. And then every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. We don't use the word pretense a whole lot. Maybe if you watch Downton Abbey or something, then you'd heard the word pretense. And so, but we don't use the word pretense. But pretense is simply something that's false that's trying to appear true. That if someone comes to you with pretense, they're trying to, they're trying to make you believe something that's not true. And there are things that rise up that there are these arguments and there are these pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. God is wanting to reveal something to us. And, then, and we have to allow God to begin to work in our lives and change the way we think. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. This sounds like our minds are something that we maybe can have, make some adjustments to. Almost like a thermostat. Go and set it a couple of degrees cooler. Set it a couple of degrees warmer. And you're like, my mind just goes where my mind goes. That's the problem. You've not begun to operate under the authority that, guess what? The spirit has to be in control, not just wherever your mind chooses to roll. Pastor Brandon, I can't control where my mind goes. Man, I'm telling you, you will never be able to live the life that God has called you to live and has freely given you unless you begin to let the Holy Spirit reign in your thoughts. It's just not going to happen. So we set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I remind myself of this on a regular basis. When I come up against a situation I've never encountered, I come up against a difficult thing, then, man, I remind myself and stand on the promise that you know what, I, I, the mind of Brandon Clark may be insufficient in this place, but the mind of Christ is not. And in Christ, I've been given the mind of Christ. And if I begin to pursue that and say, God, reveal yourself to me, reveal your wisdom, reveal your knowledge, reveal what needs to go here every time as I begin to put my own stuff aside and let the Holy Spirit, man, he guides into truth every, every time. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Where does the transformation exist? It exists in the renewing of our minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. That is when we'll be able to know what God's plan is. For our life looks like as we begin to have our minds renewed. As we begin to spend time in his presence. As we begin to spend time in his word. That's why we encourage things like 
fasting. Not because God all of a sudden pays greater attention because you've decided to, to park social media for some time or, or you've decided to fast a meal here and there and all of a sudden God's now paying special attention. No, it's now you are paying special attention to God. Not, God, not trying to get God to pay special attention to you. It's you've taken a little bit of time out, and as you begin to lean your ear into what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do, as you begin to spend some extra time in the Word, which is why we make it available to, to go through the New Testament. And, and guess what? There's a new video every day on social media. There's a new video. And so and you'll be able to just take in a little bit of the Scriptures every day. No comment, not doing any teaching, just going through the New Testament First to the end, all the way through all this year long. And we, that's how our minds begin to be renewed. The next thing we see is that we have hope. That hope is an anchor for our will. Romans 8, in the Passions Translation, says this. For the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset controlled by the spirit finds life and peace. In fact... The mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction because it cannot. Here's the thing is, is this place of submit, we don't like that concept of submit. Submit means to come under. That's what that word means. It means to come under. But the truth is, is God says, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. In fact, let's look at Isaiah 55. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So here is, our, here is the actual picture of us trying to decide whose will we're going to be in. We have our will, we have our desire, we have it, and we're going to come under our own little thing. And as long as we stay in our deal, we are, we are limited. We have come under our own selves. But God's thoughts are higher, God's thoughts are bigger, and, he's, and it seems like, because we know submit means to come under, and we look over there and we're like, you know what? I'd rather be in control of my own little box than to give up a little bit of control and to come into this. But guess what? All of a sudden when we step in him, now that's higher and better and bigger. We think we're going to have to come under God's will and be all squished down and submit into his ways. But really he's calling us into freedom. Submitting under him is to get it under a bigger, more grand place. He's not calling to squish us down into some little God box. He's calling us into a good and better place. And we just will finally understand that. To come under him is to come under the God whose hand, the, the universe is measured by the span of his hand. We, we all want to come under him. Submission, when we understand what all God has for us, begins to be so much easier. The problem is, is that we have our ways. And there are things sometimes we just don't want to do. When uh, Weston, our uh, middle son, who uh, you saw on the, on the screen and on the pre-show in uh, 
Anyways, when he was about four years old, um, we were doing a cleaning up the backyard. And, and so he was, you know, it was a family, family event and doing, cleaning up the backyard. And there was a bunch of sticks that needed to go to the alley. And so I had this pile of sticks. They were all four-year-old size sticks. There are no logs, nothing like that. So Weston's role, I take him over there and show him his pile of sticks. And I was like, Weston, I need all of these sticks. You need to take all these sticks and put them in the alley. And uh, he's like, all of them? And I'm like, all of them. So then I go on doing the rest of what I'm doing and, and uh, the Keenan and Brooklyn are doing their thing and Lulu's probably goofing off. And so, and, uh, and so we're doing our thing and I see, I look over there, the sticks have not moved, pile is not any lower. And I see Weston over there and his head's bowed down and his little lips are moving over there at his pile of sticks. And so I see Weston over there, and I'm like, Weston, what are you doing? He's like, I'm praying. And I was like, okay, that, you know, this is bound to be that this kid is like, Lord, you see the affliction? You see my mistreatment? Please deliver me from the oppressor. And so, and, uh, and so that's what I, and so, but I said, so, son, what are you praying about? He says, I'm praying that I'll be a good boy and move this pile of sticks. But thankfully, he understood what the real issue was, is it wasn't a lack of opportunity. It wasn't a lack of resources. His hands worked just fine. His little legs worked just fine. The back gate was open. Everything was there for him to be able to complete the task, the missing piece. He didn't want to. He didn't want to. And thankfully, at four years old, he understood that he needed to intercede for himself and pray for a little heart change and be able to do that. And guess what? He moved the sticks. And he he got those sticks moved and he got that there. And there's a place where a bunch of the struggle for us is less that we need something on the outside to happen and more that we need our will to shift. There's so much of the things that the resources are right there. Everything we need is right there. When it all boils down, there are times we just don't want to. We don't want to. But when we have hope, when we have hope on it, it begins to be an anchor for our will. And then when we understand that on the backside of submitting to God, that the hope is we're stepping into a grand place. The hope is we're stepping into a bigger place. On the other side of that, that begins to be an anchor for our will so that we don't drift too far off and we can stay connected. But when we lose hope, all of our will is thrown out the window. That is why a very common thing when somebody is dealing with depression is you begin to see that easy to accomplish things aren't done anymore. The dishes are piled high for days. The trash overflows. Maybe haven't had a shower in a little while. Things that are easy to accomplish that need to be done, but just that hopelessness begins to come in and it's like, I just don't care 
about anything. I don't have a will at all. Those things, and we begin to get some hope. It begins to be an anchor for our soul, and our will can begin to be alive. That is why hope is so important. Hope is so vital. It is an anchor to our soul. It is an anchor to our will. Matthew 26, verse 38, it says, Then he said to them, My soul, this is Jesus, is overwhelmed with sorrow. My soul is overwhelmed. Jesus' mind, will, and emotions overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here with me. Keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This place where the turmoil of the soul was beginning to challenge this place of will. And he's like, nope, I'm going to go with your will every time. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. He said, couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? For one hour, he, he asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's a place where the spirit has a plan. But the soulish side of us, the fleshly side of us, begins to undermine that plan. And Jesus understood where the battle was. His soul, he understood that. And we need to understand that. That's how we begin to walk and stay in the will of God, even when the place where there's a challenge, where there's this place of, of, of things are difficult. The scriptures go on to tell us later on that it was for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. There's a place where he began to see the hope of you and I reconciled to God, of you and I being made right. That hope of that allowed him to endure the cross. He actually found joy on the other side of that. And then as we look at the last thing, that hope is an anchor for our emotions. And see, emotions, they are a good passenger in the trip of, of life. Emotions are good, that they are a terrible driver and a terrible navigator. If you begin to be driven by your emotions or, or getting heavy influence on which direction you need to go, you need to make a right or a left, and let your emotions navigate you, man, I'm telling you what, you're going to end up in a wrong place. But God gave us emotions for us to be able to enjoy the, the sweet things of life are a little sweeter because of emotions. We'll be able to do things. And there's a place where even, even grief has a life-giving place for us in the scriptures. Ecclesiastes 3.4 says there's a, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Romans 12.15 says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. The thing is, is emotions are not bad in any shape, form, or fashion. You want them on that road trip of life. You want them there. They're the, you know, they're the buddy that you took on the road trip that, you know, every picture he's like, what's up? You know, makes the pictures better. They sit there and, and on, the, on the deal you've got something to share and then you're, you're like, oh, no, no, you tell it, you tell it. Yeah, listen to this. This was amazing. I'm so glad you were there. You tell, you tell it so much better. And that's your emotions. 
Your emotions can begin to convey and relive and connect, but what you don't want is them in the driver's seat. You don't want your emotions in the driver's seat. They will begin to wreck things, over-respond to things, under-respond to things. Folks, we need an anchor for our emotions because we have emotions about life's motions. Life will shift, life will sway, life will do different things, and we have responses to that, and we need an anchor for it. Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound mind makes for a robust body, but runaway emotions corrode the bone. Folks, we don't need to despise our emotions. We just need to understand to keep them in the right place. You ever try to communicate with somebody who just uses emojis? That's all they use is don't use words, just emojis. Well, they're great because on certain places, you know, you know, that, you know, if somebody says, hey, you want to go to Rosas after church? And you're like, great. Without an emoji, people may think, is that the sarcastic great? Great. Or is it great? So we've got some emojis. We've got some stuff we sprinkle in there to, to make sure people read it right on the backside of it. But if all we try to communicate is with emojis, we're limited. We're, 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 we're stuck. We need to understand that we need an anchor in that area of our emotions. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests request to God and, the God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a place where anxiety begins to rise, any kind of stuff that begins to fire up all of our emotions. And then an, an anxious response can be a tearful response. An anxious response can be a rage response. An anxious response can show up in so many different things, but it's always got a heightened emotion with it. And it tells us we should not be responding that way to life, not about anything. And here is the truth, is that you cannot be anxious about anything. You will not be anxious about anything that you don't have a thought or a will, your will involved. Okay? There are so many things that are happening in the world right now, good and bad. You're not anxious about them because you don't know about them. But as soon as you have a thought about it, and as soon as you care about the outcome, you have a will involved, now you have the two pieces that can, are necessary to produce anxiousness. And all of a sudden, now the emotional part begins to pop up. So as we let God renew our mind and our will, then all of a sudden we begin to see our emotions come into play and, and be where they need to be. We need hope to begin to put us in a place where we can genuinely live the life that God has given us and is 
created for us to live. See, our bottom line to the, the, tonight is that hope is an anchor for our soul. It is an anchor. It just helps things to be solid. There's still a little bit of move. There's still a little bit of give. There's still this flow of life, but it doesn't let us drift off. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.